Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Katie. I'm Mel. And we are hosts. This week we watched Paper Towns, directed by Jake Schreier and released in 2015. The plot of the movie goes something like this. A young man and his friends embark upon the road trip of their lives to find the missing girl next door. Um, we will be talking spoilers, obviously, for this movie, so if you haven't seen it and you really want to, then you can go out and see it and then come back and listen to the podcast. Yes. Um, I think, Katie, if I had been watching this on Netflix, I would have turned this off about 15 minutes in and never watched it to the end. I probably agree with you on that. I actually did. I hadn't read the book. I don't think you obviously hadn't read the book either because neither no. of us knew anything. Like, literally, my knowledge of this was John Green wrote the book. Um <laughs> Yeah, And that was it. I couldn't even tell you any of the people who were in it. So I uh, did go on Wikipedia and read the pl- plot outline of the book afterwards. Ah, did you? And it seems like the road trip is barely in the book. And it's the best bit of the movie. Yes, but I think the thing, the reason why that is, is because you can't show on screen a lot of the interior stuff mm. and the mystery stuff building the way that you can in the book. Mm. So, like, obviously the best stuff on screen was the movie because it's not just that boring lead wandering around looking at stuff for ages. But, yeah, so Paper Towns is, like, it's kind of like a typical, very angsty kind of, I'm not special, but I am in love with a really special, wonderful, manic pixie dream girl story that's kind of uh, turned on its head at the end. But, again, eventually, what I can tell from the book, like, so in the movie, uh, at the very end, so we're starting with the spoilers, um, the main character Q goes and finds the girl that he's in love with, who's called Margot Roth Spiegelman, and he finds her in this small town next to a paper town, which is a town that appears on maps but isn't real, um, and he finds her and then she, they get, she gets angry. And all the other people are there too, and she's actually in that little hut that they found. And she gets angry with them for coming and finding her. And she tells him off for coming and finding her because she didn't want to be found. Yep. And it's a more harsh, I think, awakening than what he gets in the movie. Mm. So it's it seems quite different. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I actually do did like the way the movie turned it around, but I had just sat through an hour of this manic pixie dream girl stuff and I just got like I don't know. It really wore me down getting mm. through the first. It's hard, it's a really hard movie for me to review because for two thirds of it, I was not enjoying it. And then at the end, when we finally get to this interesting subversion of the manic pixie dream girl image, I I really actually quite enjoyed it. But from when they took off on the road trip, or I mean, really probably from your favorite bit when they started singing the Pokemon theme song. So there's three boys, uh, teenage boys, two of whom look like teenage boys, um, <laughs> who are, and and they, you know, they're trying to follow these Margot clues, and she leads them to an old abandoned um, shop, like souvenir shop, and uh, it's all been boarded up and stuff, and it's all dark and creepy. And uh, he, uh, the main character Q, drags his friends along. One of them's very drunk, <laughs> and. <laughs> And the drunk one's like, no, we should sing something. Things aren't as scary when you sing. And so they goes, well, what are you going to sing? And the first thing that pops into his head is the Pokemon theme song, which I recognized, I think, from the opening line. And Everyone Melissa had no yeah. idea. And I was like, so I leaned over. I was like, it's the Pokemon theme. Yeah, I don't know Pokemon. <laughs> I only know one of these cultural they play it all the time at, at Nerd Trivia. Phenomenons that I d- has just passed me by. I was a bit old for it when it first came out. And then like little kids play it now, but I don't have any kids, so I don't. 
no Pokemon at all. But anyway, everyone else in the audience knew it, and clearly John Green's readership is going to know it. Yeah. It's actually a really great theme song. And it, yes, it is, and it's totally adorable. And, uh, it, I mean, it's it's right for this crowd as well, and it's right for their age group and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Super cute. Anyway, that's kind of – that was your – I know that was your turning point in the movie, and it kind of probably was for me as well because they – you actually really start to like these guys, I think, before Well, that's that- the first time it charmed me. Yeah. There was no charm in this movie until no. that point for me. And it's but all- then when those three kind of like, mm. their kind of spark took off and, and they were being cute and funny and silly and mm. and they were all bouncing around together and I was like, well, this is fun. Now yeah. I like them. And yeah. up until, but that's like an hour in. You shouldn't suddenly start liking people an hour in. Yeah, because we've had a, f- that first hour has just been every single Manic Pixie Dream Girl cliche um, coming of age, young boy stuff ever, and also the the thing is that Nat Wolf, who's the lead in this, he was also a supporting character in The Fault in Our Stars, and he was actually quite good in The Fault in Our Stars yeah. as a supporting character. He is the most bland lead. Like I got nothing from him. He smiled. He had this like half smile thing through all of his scenes previous to this moment. Right, all of them. He didn't change anything about his expression. I couldn't tell what was going on with him at all for most of the time. I knew he was anxious, but that was mostly because he said he was. <laughs> I got this sort of like nerdy New York Jewish boy vibe from him. I know that this but is that's the whole not thing is set feeling. in Orlando. <laughs> that's not what he's feeling. That's I, you just know, a sort of vague description so, of yeah, him. So I've, it, yeah, it was obvious that he was anxious about things, didn't want to get into trouble, but it was a lot yeah, of he voice. Says that. Yeah, it's a lot of voiceover. It's really heavily narrated well, at the beginning and end, and I um, and I'm not sure that was necessarily effective either, because the voiceovers, like a lot of John Green's writing and dialogue, is really kind of pretentious teenager language, and yeah, I it was a bit much. It wasn't even just that; it was like every trope in the book. Like oh, you know, when, when it was doing that opening narration, like we would say the next word that was going to come up, you know, like she's special and all that sort of stuff. We knew what was going to ca- happen. And so, yeah. but I, you know, you had to set that up in order to do the deconstruction of it later, or the, not even deconstruction, just the flipping it around later. Yep. But it, it just doesn't, it's boring to watch and it's boring to listen to. But I also thought that this movie could actually do with a lot less narration. Like yeah, that's we what can, I was just We said. can watch this happen between these two guys and know what the tropes that they're setting up are. Yeah. And like in the book, of course you have to put all that in because we're reading it. Yeah. <laughs> but in the movie, they could have easily done it without all that stuff. I can't exactly, I haven't listened to it in a while, but I seem to remember a similar issue with when we watched The Fault in Our Stars. There's a lot of, they, they were, had almost a too faithful adaptation to the book, and they wanted. I do to keep seem in... to remember the too faithful thing was something. Yeah, that they said. Uh, but I think that maybe maybe they've done this here with this trying to keep all this narration in there instead of just showing us what's happening. Well, that makes me wonder if, like, I think what happens there is people get really attached to certain pieces of dialogue and yeah. or certain certain pieces of like voiceover, mm-hmm. like certain quotes and certain phrases and stuff. Because he does have a pretty good way with words, and I imagine as a book it would actually be quite quite a good read because yeah. you're sort of like oh yeah it's all these things that I already know like they're very obvious things but yep. it would be kind of more subversive more uh, a bit earlier yeah and you also in I feel like in the movie they're trying too hard to balance Quentin's likability mm. with his irritating like because he is an annoying kid yeah right um and he is a kid who has built this girl up in his head and has created this manic pixie dream girl situation for himself and so they're trying to keep him like too likable while doing that Mm. and and so they don't push that hard enough 
while also like they're, they're trying to right, walk this tightrope and it's not a possible tightrope for them to walk. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, especially not with this lead actor yeah. who can't express any of that stuff. Like if you had somebody really likable, I'm trying to think of somebody young enough and really likable that might work and my brain's just not giving well, me anybody. I think quite clearly he's a – Oh, Dylan O'Brien. Right, exactly. Yeah, because this guy, he was he was really good doing that supporting comic relief type role in Bolton Our Stars. The other thing is that – he might, um, he might just not be up to carrying this. Yeah, he's also 20. But that role well, is also yeah. like snarky and cynical and dark. Yeah. And he did that really well. And when he went darker in this, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Let's go mm. there. But they wouldn't do it because they wanted to keep him too likable. So they kept pulling him back from that. And I think maybe if it had been darker, it would have worked better. Mm. Like if he had gone darker and, and that, yeah. cause that obsession with her really only kind of comes out properly at the end of the movie. There's little flashes of it earlier than that, but then they pull him back yeah. to try to keep him likable. Because, I mean, yeah, I think it would have been good too to, play up the creepiness of what he's actually doing the way that he's he doesn't speak to her for like nine years but he builds this woman up in his head as this this you know dream girl of his woman woman. she's yeah she's 18 she's 18 but all the the girls her and her friend played by the fabulously named holston what was it sage holston sage both look about like 23 or something i think they're about 23 yeah and um they're both 22 yeah we looked it up last yeah and the the only girl, like the boys all, to me at least, read as teenage boys or not much older. The girls, particularly those two girls, Margot and Lacey, they don't look like they're in high school. They've got these perfectly done hair and they wear all this makeup and they just – To be they fair. Dress, like they, they even, they're even styled as though they're not real girls. Yeah. To be fair, I really think that that was the point with Margot and Lacey, yeah. um, especially with Lacey because Lacey herself talks about that and tries mm. to – like make people not just yeah. see that in her, right? But yeah, yeah. So I think that if you would cast somebody who looked less like a like perfect all yeah. American pretty girl, yeah, then that wouldn't have worked quite as well with Lacey. The, yeah, there's definitely a reason they cast these two girls. And of course, um, Jazz Sinclair as Angela actually looks like a real high school girl, and mm. she's in contrast to them, she's considered a normal girl. She's achievable. She can she would date one of them, mm. whereas these two girls are, are like unobtainable and, and special and out there. And I I guess that's yeah. But that the, works. yeah, the point of that is that they're not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that, and that's that's the best bit of the whole movie is that they that uh, Although I don't like Lacey and and Ben. I think no. it's Ben. Oh, yeah, no, I really wanted Lacey and our lead to hook up. I right? Think. I thought that too. I was like, I thought that yeah, Lacey really was going to end up like with him. With Quentin. And I she didn't think just that the kind of thing was going to pan out. I just thought that Quentin would realize what was going on. Mm. And he doesn't. He's completely oblivious. Yeah. But I thought when that happened, perhaps Lacey would have just gone off and, you know, not done anything. Yeah, I said she pursues Ben as a prom date. Although I don't, th- I don't know whether that was romantic. Still. No, so much because as like, they never kiss in the movie, and the movie no. is quite open with like sexuality and stuff. Yeah, you actually see Re- yeah. uh, his so, other friend Radar and then his girlfriend Angela, you know, rolling around about to have sex. Yeah. Um. So I don't. So I so think, it might have just been that she was like wanted to be friends with them because they both like Pokemon and mm. and she didn't have anybody to go with and she realized that these guys were kind of cool and they realized that she was kind of cool. Yeah. So it may not yeah. have been romantic. It doesn't seem romantic, but I, I, it, there's part of me that really wanted there to be that ending where they at least kind of kiss or something, where he, he at least with Lacey and Quentin, with Lacey and Quentin, sort of at least sort of hook up briefly. I think the idea is, of course, that 
he had this thing and he's and they're both going off to colleges in different places and they're both going to move on with their lives but they'll have learned a lesson i think mm-hmm. and and of course there's the whole thing about uh quentin has to go all the way to tracking down margot and learning the lesson of she was she's just a person you know she's not this incredible cipher you've built up yeah but the prom thing doesn't happen in the book either ah. so like the the movie is determined to give you this happy ending and make it all wrap it up with a neat little bow and stuff. And mm. I think it's it's actually to the movie's detriment that it does that because he he says, oh, well, that's Margot's story to tell. But you're, we're like, but we didn't get Margot's story. No, we got yours because we always get yours. story. Yeah. Whereas with the book, if it had been more like, oh, I've been an idiot and then he doesn't get that happy ending, mm. it makes it a little bit more obvious that he's been an idiot and he needs to learn the lesson right? And rather I- than, oh, I've learned my lesson, now I'm – you know. mm. And it's a really important message for that, the age group that it's aimed at. For mm. like for boys, obviously, which is John Green writing from his own experience about you know learning how to treat women as humans. But for girls as well to learn that they are allowed to be fully human, mm. and that is it, it, that is is legitimate, and they shouldn't try and mold themselves into some manic pixie dream girl or some guy's idea of what they should be. So yeah. it's a, it's a good message, I think, for that age group and I think perhaps if you weren't if you hadn't seen quite so many darling indie manic pixie dream girl coming of age movies me like and we Earl have, and the dying girl yeah we yeah before this movie for some reason the cinemas decided that cancer movies were the trailer theme for the John Green crowd so we got the me and Earl and the dying girl trailer and that just looks like every other hot young Sundance indie director who's made a movie about his coming of age experiences with this with him as the ordinary guy next door and her as the special girl next door. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. so boring. We've seen it a hundred times before and it's kind of like how every hot young male director seems to break into Hollywood these days mm-hmm. with some dull as dishwater, you know, manic pixie dream girl coming of age fantasy. Mm-hmm. And so having to t- sit through that for the first hour and, you know, not walking out because, you know, we'd paid our money and we had to review it. But – um sitting through that for the first hour if you're not 15 and seeing this for the first time is quite dreary yeah it's interesting because like i don't know how i'm really glad i were 15 and seeing it the first i'm really time. glad i did sit through that for the first yeah. hour because yeah. the payoff was really worth it mm. but it is very slow and very difficult to get into and uh it, it, it is a really good and there's little tacit messages for the the audience as well like when angela confronts radar about him not inviting her over and not mm. and not letting her talk to his friends and stuff. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he has good reasons for it, but it's a good message for the girls that you need to confront them when they're not doing that. Because mm. they might have good reasons for it, but you need like you you still should be treated like a person. Yeah. And then uh so I, I kinda like how the girls kind of teach these little lessons. Well I think again this comes back to this early bit about how you think you were talking about how they should have gone darker. I, I think they needed to go more obvious with how much of a jerk he was in that first yeah. part of the movie because it wasn't. He almost seemed like a decent kid who's just a bit, you know, he's just a young guy. He's just being a boy. That's what boys are like when they're that age. Kind of, it's too gentle. It needs to actually go harder on the these kids are idiots message. I mean, mostly him. Mostly the him. other yeah, kid. Radar seems like a great kid. Oh, yeah. Radar seems very if, together. Ra- Apart from the the Angela issues where he's like mm. – because he does – she's his girlfriend. She, he's like, I don't want to lose her, so mm. I can't let her in on my real life. Yeah. 
which have weird quirks, like his his parents are the collectors of the biggest Black Santa collection in the world, which was terrific. That was very the, funny. The, that was one of the very few things in the first part of the movie I was excited about. Yeah. I was like, I want to know more. Black yeah. Santa, this is great. Who are these people? These people sound amazing. But I totally understand from the perspective of a teenager that your parents and whatever quirk that they have that – we might see as cool as an adult is, you know, mortifyingly embarrassing because it makes you different. I totally understand him. But he seems like a a, a good kid. Yeah, and he has has this one line where he – that I really liked where he says to uh, Quentin, "Um, you don't want other people to be themselves. You want them to be like you. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. Mm. And they're kind of – there's all these, like – neat little lessons about the end of school and about how to, mm. you know, how to interact with other people and stuff that, that are just kind of dropped in there that I thought were quite fun. Yeah. Um, and, like, for boys about how to treat girls and for girls about how to behave, like, that you can confront people and you should and you mm. have that right and you have that right to say to them, I'm not just pretty. Yeah. Like, you need to start seeing me as more than just what you're currently seeing me as. Yeah. So I thought that was really neat. Um. And and it doesn't help that our lead is so boring. I think it's a lot. Of, it, there is almost like, um, it it just drags. Like the whole the night with Margot, where we don't just run one prank. She runs like three or four separate pranks. Well, she says she houses. has nine things she needs yeah, to do that night. Nine. Now I counted like four. So yeah, but it still dragged on. That whole scene dragged on, and like we probably could have done it in less time. It does build up the the myth of Margot very effectively though mm-hmm. and uh Some which great is one thing Orlando that I wanted to too. bring up about Cara Delevingne she is simultaneously really good and really bad in this movie to me yeah. because like the movie kind of suffers whenever she's in it yeah but she yes. also but she also does the Margot thing really well. Yeah. So she plays the role that she's meant to play really well, but the movie suffers. Like every time she's in it, you're like, oh my God, not this. Yeah. I didn't want them to find her at the end. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, we're going to have to see Margot. Margot is boring and I want Quentin and Lacey to hook up. Which is kind of unfair because the whole point of this was that Margot is to pull, is to, exactly, to break down these images of Margot's. Yeah. So it, it, I don't know how effective it is. Yeah. It's a frustrating thing because. There, there is some real good in there, and some real interest, really interesting themes and ideas, and and I think it's tr- it's hearts in the right place, and it's really trying to interrogate some of these coming of age myths. But at the same time, the execution is is probably flawed, and mm. yeah, it is, and it's it's, I mean, it's got a lot of issues, and but she, she, again, she's like, it's it's very hard for me to say what she was like in this movie because I'm like, oh yeah, she was she was good, and she was the worst thing about the movie. Mm. Um, <laughs> But also, yeah, well, the performance was great, but the character, at, perfectly performed as written, is not someone you want around on screen. How do you feel about the attractiveness of our leads in this? I, I don't I don't really care. Because <laughs> if you look at something like, I mean, even The Fault in Our Stars, I would say, has two more typically attractive people in the leads. Yeah, yeah. Although a lot of people don't think Shailene Woodley is attractive at all. But, like, I, I just feel like... Usually in teen movies, you get two people who are like I could see the girl who played Lacey mm. being As more likely to be a lead yeah. than Cara Delevingne, who is really strange looking in a lot of ways. She's kind of yeah, she's very striking and like obviously you know model looking, but she's not like the girl who would be the popular one at high school. Which but is she isn't very popular. much. I think the thing with Margot no, that you need true. to know is she's not popular. She is a 
cipher yeah and she's the whereas, she's the wacky crazy one who like mm. everybody is drawn to but also nobody's really friends with except Lacey. and again L- but Lacey, Lacey is your all-american cheerleader type yeah and she is genuinely popular right yes, yes. whereas margot is like more of a fascination than a yeah than a person that everybody wants to be like mm. she's like the one that everybody talks well, think, about and, and, and also both types of girls have you know mythologies built around them you know the head cheerleader mm gets a mythology built around her as being this unobtainable, unreal person who would absolutely, you know, um, not tell her friend that her boyfriend was cheating on her. Like, she's got myths built up around her as well. Yeah, which apparently she didn't do. This is part of the main storyline yeah. is that she didn't know that, yeah, that yeah. Margot's boyfriend was cheating. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's these little sort of bits and pieces that I, I do like that it does all that, but it kind of it, it does that in between all this stuff that's not interesting. Although I do think that mm. Ben, who was just awful up until he got drunk, is possibly the best character after he gets drunk and from that mm. point on because he becomes really entertaining from well, that point he's on. He's another one where he's this really cliched nerd character, this, this idea about nerd boys as being horny, disgusting little rats who, who make up girlfriends. Yeah. And he's partially a character that is a cliche, but there's some kind of truth in the stereotype of icky little nerd boys who are really horrible to women, like this horrible misogyny and nerd culture kind of thing that he mm. sort of represents. And then, and exactly like the road trip it makes all of them. They all become different. They all become fully fleshed out characters once they get in that car. And it's not enough of the movie. <laughs> no, and it's a wonderful, wonderful bit of the movie. It's done so well. And I love the – um. Uh, they, they're they just going to get in the car and drive. And um, From Raider, Orlando up to New York. From Orlando, yeah, it's a massive drive. Um, so it and, takes them a day each way. Yeah, but Radar's like, no, I've got to stop and tell my girlfriend. And instead of being like you're yeah, them just sort of writing the problem out, she comes along. Angela comes along, and she's another character. She's got a, her own stuff going on. She's the more normal high school accessible girl, but she's no different from Lacey. And they end up having quite a bit in common, and it just adds to the group. I really like that they brought her along. They bothered to bring the girlfriend because often these things don't. I don't think the movie passes the Bechdel test, though. Uh, other than when Angela gets in the car and says hi to Lacey, and like. Something like because Lacey and Angela do. It does seem like they made friends, but because she, we're told Angela gets into the car, she says hi and something like, "I like your sweater" or something mm. like that. I think it passes, you know, in the very, very legal sense. <laughs> yeah, but but then there's another part where they're together and yeah. they come up to the car and they they've made a bet on whether or not mm, yeah um, that's true. Radar would would tell yeah. them that they he had sex. So like, there's I mean, they seem to. But I, I think because the movie is entirely told from Quentin's point of view, we don't get to see any yeah. of that, which is a shame. No, and, and it's, it's only by implication, but they do sort of suggest that she and Lacey become friends and then, of course, that subverts the traditional boundaries between the popular cheerleader girl and the sort of ordinary nerdy girl that, that Angela seems to be. I don't know that she's nerdy. I, I don't know that she's strictly nerdy, but she seems like a Because good... there aren't any nerd girls no, in but movies, she... I would have noticed. Well, but, 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 no, I, I'm not – nerdy might be – a loaded word in this context, but she seems like the kind of good girl who does her homework and does her extracurricular. She seems like a regular girl in high school. Yes. Like, she seems to work hard. She wants to, like, she's she's excited about prom, but she also, you can see, like, just in her interactions that she wants to make sure she's got her homework done and all that sort of thing. Like, yeah. she seems like a regular good girl. Yeah. Yeah, nerdy, I, I would think of somebody who is more like Radar. But, I mean, to be fair, we don't get to see any, any of Angela's actual interests. Um, no, I, so I'm I'm projecting there. But I, I got the idea that she was at least studious. 
Yes. No, I think there's a couple of comments that, that make it seem like she is. And they do kind of bring her in to become a person. Mm. But, like, uh, I just meant in terms of nerdy girls are a real issue in these kinds of movies because yeah. you never see them ever. No. You never see their perspectives. You never see them as, as people. And if they're ever in it, they are super desperate, horrible, like worse than nerdy guys. Yeah, yeah. Like the yeah. very bottom of the ladder. Yeah. And it's depressing and it's awful. Yeah, no. I mean, like other than I think maybe 10 Things I Hate About You has some, some nerdy girls perspective in it, but you well, never, I mean, ever get it. Really. I, even then, they're not really nerdy. Like only the um, Julia Stiles' friend who likes Shakespeare. Yeah, that's who I was thinking of. <laughs> but she's she's got that one interest. She's more of a geek, really. But even then, it's only like a, a very minor – and she's – you know, gorgeous. She's a it's a feminine. She's a ballet dancer, ballet dancer, I believe, because she, yeah, she was also in Stage. Yeah, she's right. the lead in that. So, like, um, she's she's but yeah, you, know, you really don't yeah, you almost never stuff. see like real nerdy girls as the leads. It's always the sort of e- even when we have a girl who's quite studious as the lead, which you do get occasionally. She's always you know, thin and pretty and whatnot. And, and again, Angela is thin and pretty and whatever, but even but, as the best friends, like in this, you've got Ben and. And radar that you don't no get like a girl who's like radar or who's, Ben or Ben exactly you don't get that I mean it, that's kind of like the the niche that somebody like Rebel Wilson might have carved mm. out for herself yeah but by the time Rebel Wilson hit Hol- Hollywood she was a bit older than that so yeah, it doesn't she could, really wasn't really no real nerdy girl of that age has probably got the confidence to hit Hollywood at that age like then you're not cute enough to become a child star and in it etc but well I, I mean, mean Heather Matarazzo yeah. as well yeah, Heather Matarazzo, that I was yes. thinking of yeah but yeah. Heather Matarazzo so there's like yeah, the Daria. And Daria and Heather Matarazzo was like she did that for a bit, but there's not there, there wasn't like a big kind of something like no, this, like a no. And Chris, a teen Christina Ricci to some extent as a, but she was more kooky. Um, but yeah, and she dropped to that pretty quickly after the Adams Family movies. But yeah, it's something that you just don't ever see. It's almost a niche that would be, I think, interesting to explore. Well, because I mean, in order to uphold their ridiculous standards, it's it's sort of the the way it has to be in order for them to keep going the way they're going. Because you're mm. like, oh no, nerdy guys are now popular. Yeah, nerdy guys are now popular, but nerdy women are still not only like ignored in movies, but ignored in everything else in mm. merchandise. We don't get any comic book toys, movie toys, or all of that sort of stuff. The way they cut out Black Widow, the mm. way the fact that they completely ignore the you know half of the audience or more who were female mm. in a lot of these things uh the way that we don't get superheroes yeah. as to uh be our heroes we don't get any of that stuff and yet we've been around for ages i mean look at the fandoms that nerdy girls have been in in terms of movies what? it's all stuff like lord of the rings and things and they're completely male dominated uh, i was actually thinking of that in Malaysia star wars and star trek john green and his huge Tumblr and YouTube followings, which are made up of a whole, a huge number of nerdy girls. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if John Green wrote a movie from the perspective of one of them? Yeah, that's right. Or wrote the book from the perspective of one of them, would, mm. which would inevitably be turned into a movie, I suppose, at this point. Yeah. And then, and then it was cast. Although Paper Towns was not, didn't seem to be popular when we were there. Mm, no. Um, and then was, you know, cast appropriately with an actual nerdy looking teenage girl. Yeah. Rather than, um, you know, Rachel Lee Cook or whatever. Man, Josie and the Pussycats is such a good movie, though. Uh, yep, yeah, I'm not talking about Josie and the Pussycats, though. I'm talking I know. about She's All That, but Josie and the Pussycats. Oh is no, a great I forgot about movie. She's All That. So when that. I was thinking of She's All That, because that's one of those classic, pretty, slim, well-dressed girl who has a pair of glasses at the beginning no, of the movie. No, she wears overalls. She's clearly a nerd, <laughs> but she kind of looks super stylish. Anyway, 
And then, like, she gets made over, which basically involves removing the overalls and the glasses. And some of her hair. She gets a haircut. That's the transformation of the nerdy girl. Well, that's because... The girl who's already conventionally attractive and thin just kind of changes her outfit a bit. And and that's the thing is that that's the expectation of girls who are nerds. They have to make themselves over in order to be acceptable. Whereas the guys don't have makeovers. Nat Wolf didn't get a makeover in this movie. He was exactly the same boring dish rag from the beginning to the end. I mean, there's, there is a kind of, there's a moment at the end when he dances with his friends and it's the nerdiest dance you've ever seen. And you're like, where was that guy for the rest yeah. of this movie? That was hilarious. Mm. Um, yeah. And someone like Austin Abrahams, Abrams, the, um, who played Ben, he's yeah. in, seems to be in fairly constant work. Even though he looks like he does and he has in in no way tried to bulk up or slim down or, you know. Well, look at um, Thomas Brody Sangster. He's 25. He's still playing 14-year-olds. He still looks like a 14-year-old. But, you know, (laughs) I I mean, I don't think that that, that's basing him off this movie entirely. But, yeah, that it does. It's unfair. A lot of this unfairness going yeah. on. You always get older people playing teenagers. I mean, the well, one I mean, thing yeah, that they get around child labor laws. That's the been one a thing that's tradition. been really nice about this about the John Green movies is that casting genuinely young people to play yeah, these roles. Yeah. And and I think that comes across quite well um, for mm. the most part. I mean, he, I, I still don't think Nat Wolf was the right choice for the. Yeah, I think there's for Dylan O'Brien. I I don't enjoy John Green stuff, but I'm not. Th- the audience for it and I think he's really good at actually speaking to his target audience and writing stuff that is appropriate for teenagers and doesn't talk down to them yeah he actually understands them on a very deep level yeah and I mean he reminds me a little bit of John Hughes in that regard Mm. actually Mm. there's some similarities there although you know his movies are not as good as John Hughes movies um uh, there was a moment when when when, uh, he was like what are we going to do when um Quentin was like, what's tomorrow going to be like? And I was like, dude, have you not seen The Breakfast Club? Exactly. <laughs> Tomorrow's not going to be any different. They're not going to say hello to you in the hallways. Yeah. So, I mean, The Breakfast Club is like the gold standard for teen movies. Yeah. And even that has the Allison makeover, but it's still the gold standard for teen movies. So, if you're not going to be The Breakfast Club, <laughs> go yeah. big or go home. Yeah, Breakfast Club and Mean Girls, I think, are the, the two best ones. Yeah. I mean, I, I have... I've got a certain soft spot for the for the nineties, you know, Clueless and Ten Things I Hate About You, as mentioned, and Center Stage and things like that. But yeah, oh, those are all good. I just don't think they're the gold standard. Like I'm talking about, like the best of the best, like the ultimate teen movies that are the ultimate kind of. This is what it's mm. like to be a teenager, and also this is a really terrific movie. Yeah, <laughs> um, which is not always it's easy. Rare. To, yeah, I mean, I love Empire Records. Um, yeah, yeah, which is not quite a teen movie. No, but it, 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 I associate that with being a teen and yeah. watching it as a teen and all that. Yeah. Do you know Empire Records is one of the only movie that, movies that are said to be from our generation? Because our generation, our gr- uh, grouping in terms of where we sit on the, mm. you know, Generation X, all that sort of stuff, we actually sit in between two of them. Well, yeah, we're, you we're, do as well. we're the older end of Gen Y, you and I. But the thing is that there's there's this kind of mini generation that people have talked about that we sit in. Oh, uh, you okay. should look. There's an article oh, there's about like it. It's like a crossover between X and Y. Yeah. So we're not this... we're not the millennials in that we didn't graduate in the recession, and also like a lot of our cohort is you know having children and stuff now. Is that what you kind of mean? Yeah. There's yeah. a there's a um, but there's a there's a pocket uh, between the two that we aren't Generation X and we aren't millennials, right? So, so somewhere we're between about 1978 and 1984. Is that what you're talking about? I think it's a bit later. I think it's about 1980 to 19. 
85 or yep, something yep. like that. Like there's this very brief kind of period yes. of time. The, the people with whom I feel a much closer kinship than say the, your sister born in the early 90s. Yeah, exactly. So we, we sit in because, and it's partly to do with technology. It's partly to do with the fact that we can the remember- way that technology mm. came in, we are the only people who sort of grew up with technology and yet can also remember a time when there yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah, any yeah, technology. Yeah. Oh, right. Yes, interesting. I so there's this, this really, fascinating. Yeah, there's an article. I'll try and find yeah, it for you, you that could, talks that about be... Empire Records as being one of the only movies that is actually made for our generation, yeah. our very short, our very brief period I, of time. I can remember because the Clueless anniversary was recently, so I'm sort of thinking about Clueless. And I was taken along to see that by my nana and I was like – still 12 or only just 13 when it came out mm. and i think we were a bit young for that mm. but then like we're a bit old for a lot of the stuff that came in later pokemon like we were talking about earlier. and mean girls uh, mean like girls. we're, yeah, we're, we're a slightly too old girls. for me i was well and truly in college by the time mean girls came out exactly so there's so empire records is one of the only movies that sits in that pocket that is like one of the movies of our generation mm. which is a really interesting kind of thought yeah. that there's like this sort of between these two like Generation X, who were full of both cynicism and the accept, like the the um, but they had the, all the this stand is not by your beautiful life, and, yeah. but it's also that this is not your beautiful life type stuff, you know that right. that kind of like disillusionment, right? Era. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, right. Well, because Gen X graduated into a recession too. We were really, really but, lucky. But there's also the 80s, which are kind of like a a period of of excess. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. so like we don't quite have that. Um, that the, the people got disillusioned with the excess of yep. the eighties. We're mm-hmm. not quite those people, but we're also not quite the millennials who like actually grew up in all of this recession and all of these mm-hmm. really, really weird. They, big they were like in the world primary schoolers when nine eleven happened and all that yeah. stuff. Whereas we were already adults. Yeah, right. So there's a. It's it's just interesting. I'll try and I find think you that's the link. Absolutely fascinating, and I would like to see it and think about movies of our generation and yeah there's not a lot and john john green is if he's not our generation he's a couple of years older i think he's around 36 37 which makes him about four or five years older than you and i okay so john green's born in 1977 so that makes him five years older than me and six years older than you so yeah yeah, he is he's a little bit older than our. he's like a gen x writing about this yeah he is generation of teens um, but still, like, it, it, he's, he Gen does X it. for me is always Reality Bites. Reality Bites yeah. is, like, how I think of Gen Yes, X. yes. And he's he's probably, yeah, he's around that age, maybe a little um, younger than those actors from that movie. But he has a really good grasp of it. For someone who, he's Gen X, and so, like, his kids are, like, toddlers slash preschoolers. And, but he's got this really good grasp of, you know, what it's like to be a 16-year-old girl today. So. Some people do. Some people just have that ability. And there are, of course, lots of universal aspects about being a teenager. That, but he's he's That's managed true. to combine the universal aspects of being a teenager with the modern age really well. I think. Yeah, I mean, I do. I I think that I do think that the vil- recent villainization villainization of uh, um, John Green. Is oh, a, I choose is, to completely ignore that because it's so stupid. It's so ridiculous and over the top, man. Um, but. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, and I don't. I do wonder what people would think of John Hughes if John Hughes was making. Oh, movies. that's immediately what I thought of. Yeah, is like because John Hughes was genuinely proven to be a great guy right up until his he he mm. was keeping in contact with kids who wrote to him and 
and doing all these like yeah. really nice Look, I think things. until there's any real evidence to the contrary, I think we can assume that John Green is exactly as great as he seems to be. Yeah, it's in- it's just interesting to me that there's this kind of culture yeah, around of, that now. Of, of like somebody gets a certain level of popularity and then suddenly there's a backlash. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know. A bigger topic than us, than we can really cover. I just th- thought it was interesting. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a John Green movie, so it yeah. felt... But it is a real kind of... It does play into a lot of things that, that I just am involved in by being in childcare and teaching and stuff, which is this... Because these are traditionally feminine, thought of as feminine kind of things to do, and because associating with teenagers is kind of thought of as a feminine thing to do, and like caring yeah. about ki- young people and kids and stuff, and writing for them is thought of as being feminine, people automatically kind of go, well, it's feminine, so he must be weird for wanting to do it, which is like a... um. Uh, it's a kind of this problem with misogyny where you're like, because a man does something that we think of as being, um, f- uh. like associated with women, then they must be a creep. Yeah, because men who are like women are creepy. Yes, exactly. Um, and this has happened like in in you know real life stuff. Like I think I just it just kind of hits home for me more because it is something that's more connected with stuff that I have to do with. Yeah, it is. Sometimes I just can't be bothered engaging in internet fights and this is one where I've I've decided that I think this person is a good person and I'm not engaging with this. Yeah, I have those too. I just think it's because it's that particular like, yeah. you know, you're creepy because you are interested in, in telling yeah, stories about awful. and two, fema- two teenage girls. So, yeah. Anyway, shall we wrap up? Um, yeah, because we've been talking for 50 minutes. You'll have plenty to cut out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I don't know what to give this. I feel like it's probably only worth a couple of stars, but it's not, it, it, it redeems itself in the end. It's a weird one because, like, ultimately it's not as badly made as I think it is. Mm. But it's not terrific. Yeah. I can see what they were trying to do and I think it's very admirable. But Nat Wolf was still bad in it. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I'm kind of like trying to balance yeah, these, these and feelings that I have about it. If I was being generous, I would give it three stars. But then that puts it in the same league as things I really enjoyed, like Furious 7. And that's it's not in that league. But the thing is that but this then, has a better idea and a better concept than Furious 7 does. Right. But Furious 7 is better in its execution yeah. than this movie is. I so know. like where do so you put confusing. that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I might I might actually be generous and give it three stars. But you know, with a, a an asterisk, and also I'm I'd welcome the perspective of an actual young person who would probably get something very different out of it. So um, yeah. I will give this movie. See, because you gave it three, I want to give it two and a half mm. to like balance it out. But then when I write my review, I'm probably going to put three stars on it anyway because I'm like. But I really appreciate what it's trying to do. I yep. just don't think yep. it's that good in doing it. Yep. So for the podcast, it's two and a half stars. Fair enough. All right. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you'd like to find our show notes, uh, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to read Katie's review of this, in which she may or may not give it another star rating, that's silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. Um, and also you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens, on Twitter at screen underscore queens, and on Tumblr, tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Um, and if you really like the show and you are into us and you want to give us a boost, please rate and review us on iTunes. It would be really helpful 
So if you give us an iTunes review, we will also give you a shout out on the podcast. And you can also suggest a movie for us to review. Yeah, do that through any of our social channels or whatever. Yeah, so if you give us a review on podcast, we will definitely review any movie that you put on there for us to review. Hey. Any movie. Oh, God. Anything. Oh, God. Don't make me watch any porn. Like yeah, that's real, a fairly actual, obvious thing. Actual feature films. Yeah. Okay. Now, nothing that, you know, is is genuinely something that we cannot review <laughs> safely. <laughs> but any other movie that you want us to watch, we will review Yes, on you. we're always happy to try new things Especially if you have movies by women and minority directors. We do a lot of white men, a lot of white male leads. You know, we would be happy to diversify. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.